It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Access Atlanta shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience in Atlanta. We'll bring you the stories that make our city one of a kind and take you behind the scenes in a town where we create movies, music, and art that's making waves around the world. Every week, we'll share with you some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. Join us and let us be your guide to a city that we know best. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison, and this week I'm back with Bo Emerson, one of our uh, longtime writers here at the AJC. Welcome, Bo. Thank you, Shane. It sounds like I'm old. Well, Wait a you know. <laughs> hey, I am. But between the two of us, we have more than 60 years experience here, so uh, yeah. <laughs> Some of those were duplicate years. <laughs> they did overlap. But anyway, we're here to talk about something very cool that's going on here in Atlanta. It's um, at the Center for Puppetry Arts, which, uh, if you haven't been, is a really cool place. And this might be a a good time to go. So tell us what you did. Yes, uh, it is a play called Stella Luna, and you will probably hear some clips from it in this podcast here. I had a conversation with John Ludwig, who has been at the Center for... I think as long as it's been there. Yeah. And uh, he has created all kinds of uh, all kinds of plays. He's written them. He's built puppets. He's been a puppeteer. Now he's the artistic director there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his uh, his range is huge because he does uh, puppet shows for kids, and he also does ones for adults that have all kinds of gore and puppet sex in them. <laughs> but there's no puppet sex in Stella Luna, no. so you know. <laughs> Yeah, this one this one is definitely family friendly. That's right. It's about a bat uh, that falls uh, accidentally into a bird's nest and is brought up to be a bird, but realizes uh, finally, even though this bat learns how to behave well and be a good bird, that he really is a bat or she. I'm not sorry. I can't yes. remember which. And uh, and then reclaims that bat identity. And right. uh, it's sort of about the power of community and the strength of the individual. Oh, hello. You all must be chiropterologists too. You know, bat scientists. Welcome. Either way, it's cool. Uh, We're up here in the canopy looking for a bat, a very special bat named Stella Luna. Have you seen her? All right, let's let's look. Stella Luna. 
Stella Luna. Stella Luna. Oh, oh, everybody, together, softly. Stella Luna. Stella Luna. Oh, hello, friends. Hello, Stella Luna. Is it nighttime already? Yes. Time to get up. Time to eat. Time to share your story. My story? Yes. Let us share your story with these nice people. That's really cool. It's a yeah. It's based on a, a children's book as well, I believe. Yes. And um, yeah, this is this is a world premiere too. Uh, I yeah, I did not realize that when I went in there, uh, and it's beautiful. Uh, a it's the largest set they've ever constructed for wow. any of their shows, and it is, uh, you're in the treetops, and uh, the trees grow and change, and of course there's fantastic music, and uh, uh, the, uh, t uh, the kind of puppetry it is is called overt puppetry, I think is the proper right. term, uh, which means that you, you see the puppeteers, and they're in fact dressed as naturalists with pith helmets and uh, uh -huh. uh, uh, sort of uh, binoculars around their necks, and they're the right. ones out there looking for bats, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but they also make the bats fly, and after a while, you, you really believe that this is, these are animals moving around on their own. They're very, it's a very clever uh, uh, system of puppetry. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing that the the things that uh, puppeteers can do with, uh, you know, all this stuff, and to to suspend your your you know disbelief, it's like it, it's amazing. You get caught up in it. I mean, at first it's it might seem odd, but it's like it it really doesn't take much to. You believe in the characters. You yeah. believe in this in this uh, little sort of forlorn bat who is is embraced and brought into the family, and you really feel this pang when when you see. Uh, this bat fall out of the sky and it's all alone and and uh, uh, and the center of course is a fantastic place when you go there you can also go to the uh, they have mu the museum of uh, of puppets from all over the mm -hmm. world and one of the biggest or the biggest Jim Henson uh, collection of, right. of all kinds of Henson uh, puppets and uh, it's it's in the old Spring Street School, which I actually went to as a kindergartner. <laughs> so I had uh, I had some wonderful nostalgic moments uh, yeah. there about being hit in the uh, mouth with a swing when I walked behind the swing set. <laughs> wow! So this is. Um, um so the, the the building's obviously been around a while, but and the a hundred years, a, a hundred years, yes. is it? Wow, wow. Yeah, but it's they they spruce it up somewhat. Oh yes, oh yes, yeah. And uh, the puppetry arts, the Center for Puppetry Arts has been there for a very long time. And if you haven't been, as I said, it's it's a really great place to go to. Um, and it's really a treasure here in Atlanta that that not a lot of something that not a lot of cities have something of this caliber. I, I can't think of another one. It's a very unusual uh, 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 kind of a feature of Atlanta, and if you haven't been there, it's definitely worth it. You need to check it out. Right, and this is a really good time to go because Stella Luna is playing, and, and this is you know the first chance anyone gets to see this. Uh, it's a brand new thing, um, and it sounds spectacular, really. And, of course, John Ludwig is a great uh, interview, and so you'll get a chance to hear 
hear him chatting and he's a he's he's a wonderful character with a a, a sort of a, a a ponytail going down all the way to the middle of his back yeah. and uh these round uh studious glasses <laughs> and uh uh, he he's he's sort of professorial, but you you get that there's a a kid like glee on the inside there. Right, there sort of has to be, I think. Yeah. Puppeteers, the the ones that I know certainly have that. Yes. So tell us who you are. Okay, who am I? That could take an hour. Uh, right now, Go ahead. okay, yeah. This is John Ludwig with the Center for Puppetry Arts. I'm the artistic director here. And how long have you been here? I've been here since 1978, September. 78 yeah and how long has Stella Luna been uh, uh, been produced is it it's been produced a couple of times before no this is our uh, premiere for this it's it's been produced by other companies with puppets but this is the first that the center's ever done it ah so it's brand and, new and so it is uh, derived from a, from a children's book mm -hmm. uh, by Janelle Cannon who uh, actually was very helpful in the writing of the script and everything. She kept us out of the science. She's a real bad science maven. She's really, you know, knows what she's talking about. So she kept us on track. Uh, and uh, she came and saw it, did a book signing, saw it, loved it. She was just great. Did she help with the development? Well, just a reference. We would send her scripts and she would correct it. Like, we first said, oh, yeah, it takes place in Brazil. She said, no, it's in Africa. <laughs> oh, good to know. <laughs> And they don't live in caves, they live in trees, and you know, they, like the science, she was very, very helpful. And with. they eat mangoes, and they and don't they, eat bugs. Right, they, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, is, can a bat that eats mangoes eat a bug? I don't know. I guess if she's desperate and hungry enough, at least in this story, like, she does. <laughs> your, little, your little bat is, gets hungry after Yeah, she does, she gets hungry, and she's, you know, she tries it, she doesn't like it. Um, but then she agrees to follow the rules. It's after the incident with all the other baby birds are hanging by their toes because that's what she likes to do. And Mama Bat, a Mama Bird comes back and finds them all hanging upside down and just, all right, that's it. You can't stay here unless you obey all the rules of this house. And so she promises to act like a bird. Except so, that uh, she she stays a bat. And yeah. It's all about self-identification and fitting in and then your true self. Uh, it's, that's what I think makes it such a classic story. It's really quite sweet, this bat. You know, uh, she's flying with her mother, actually clinging onto her, her chest, just hanging on like bats do, baby bats. And they're attacked by an owl, and she ends up landing in this um, bird's nest, and she becomes part of their family, even though it's totally contradictory to her nature. And in the end, she finds her true family, and she realizes she's a bat. And, and Although she knew she was a bat all along. Um, in our version, we make it sort of vague. There's a moment where she goes, I'm a bat. You know, she realizes that she's a, a bat. So she's kind of, it, 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 it's like she kind of knows that she's different, but she's also very much alike. And so the one of the lessons, or at least one of the themes, is you are part of a group you have to adhere to the rules of the group and yet somehow negotiate between that and what your what your individual self yeah. really is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's what made the story stick around for so long. You know, it first came out in 93, 94. Lovely illustrations. And it's about a bat. And Janelle Cannon, 
she was uh, worked at a library, and she realized there were no bat books that were positive about bats. There were a lot of very you know crazy books about how bad bats were, but she saw that they really are cool animals and very useful um, in pollination and and insect removal. <laughs> Those that eat insects, like most North American bats, eat insects. They're very helpful. So she decided to make a book about a bat. Is it her first book that she's that she wrote? I think it was her first, yeah. So how do you decide when you're going to uh, use a book and create a, a play based on that or a puppet show based on we that? We look at title recognition. There are a lot of wonderful stories out there that we would love to do. But we have to look at the practical side. People kind of are drawn by title and then that's every theater in town and across the country they all you know talk about the tyranny of the title you kind of have to have this big title but it's also do we like the story that's the bottom line is is it does it fit our form of art the puppetry and in this one it's a bat great so it's an animal wonderful i don't have to put a bat guy in a bat suit you know it's like we can fly them around you know flying in puppetry terms right but it looks great they're you it's overt style, so you do see the puppeteers, but they're dressed as like naturalists or bat scientists, so you quickly forget that they're there at all. And there's moments where they reenact, you know, like they reconnect as scientists observing bats, so they reinforce it. Yeah, they're still there, and uh, but they're able to move the puppets so much better than any other style we were thinking about. But that doesn't really, but it does come into play. Can we adapt it to our our form? Well, because you have a, a, a creature that, that's flying, so that's pretty hard to, uh, yeah, to if, animate. Oh, if you tried to do it with actors, you'd have to be a very expensive, you know, flying system. And uh, this is just pretty simple. It's direct control. And it looks great. I mean, they're all moving very rapidly around the set, which is another thing that's interesting. The set became the biggest set we've ever created because we needed all that space to fly around. They're either in the nest or they're flying, which also is good for choosing a, a show like uh, a title like that because there's just two locations. We're not constantly changing locations. It's basically the two, and the characters—they're just adorable. And you've got these tree uh, branches that uh, uh, that put you up in the canopy. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're also—they move, they grow. So we reveal the nest and we reveal this other tree. Uh, so they kind of grow into the, you know, to the canopy area. The the uh, you have uh, done a whole lot of different kinds of uh, uh, shows uh, yeah. in, in your career. <laughs> some for uh, kids, some mm -hmm. not for kids. Uh, I'm thinking of the Halloween. Uh, oh, ghastly dreadfuls. The ghastly dreadfuls. Yeah, that was just something we wanted to do. We knew there was an audience for for Halloween, an adult audience. And we had several attempts. We had XP, our experimental theater, Terror, which focused on Halloween themes. Then there was the Spooky Puppet Horror Show, which was more of a improv, uh, crazy vignette, uh, X-rated. You know, it was like nuts. And then there was these other uh, something wicked. And then we finally settled on with Jason, our, our the collaborator, Jason Hines. He basically said, "Why don't we just tell ghost stories?" I thought, "Oh, yeah." Why don't we just tell some stories? With a with a grand guignol kind of a, yeah, of a twist to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They each, each one of the, st the stories has a different uh, style. Mm 
mm-hmm. including a Grand Guignol. We really go over the top with the blood on that one. So uh, you you uh, you're able to uh, think about different audiences when you're. Uh, mm-hmm. That's another thing in selecting a, a book is who is its intended audience? Do they know the book? You know, like when we do Pete the Cat, which is the next show we're bringing back. Pete the Cat's amazingly popular, especially here in Georgia, because right. you know, because James Dean's from here, right? And you know, so it, is Pete the Cat for maybe second, third, fourth grade audience? Well, it's for early learning. It's a, one of the first reader books. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the word recognition and repeat, and, and you know, the, it rhymes. It helps them because they can rhyme it, so they can say it, because they can read it, so you know, they know these things. So it's like a first reader book. And the, the uh, this uh, this book is more for uh, first grader for being read to. Yeah, it's an illustration book, uh, Stella Luna, and it's yeah probably for first second grade. But we're getting everything all the way up to you know fifth sixth graders because it's such a good story. It, it it appeals. It has the artwork that's so lovely, and we tried to recreate that in our set and the puppets, so they look just like the book. That's uh, very important to us. Same thing with Pete the Cat, we made it look exactly like Pete the Cat. You know, you're going from two dimensions to three dimensions. Which uh, you also did with um, uh, the, the uh, uh, Rudolph. Rudolph, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that we can do with the puppets, is we can make it look exactly like the picture, and it's not a person in a cat suit. You know, like, you can right. only go so far, you can't, you know. How do you how do you do that? Do you uh, do you take stills? I mean, you take the images from the uh, from the book. Yeah, what Jason does is he looks at it and then he'll build a mock-up model and try to expand it from the two dimensions to three. So he'll draw and he'll also draw a front-on and then a side view, sometimes over-the-shoulder view, just so he gets the shape. Because you have to go like, well, what is this thing? When it's flat, it's an oval, but when you turn it into three dimensions, it's it's now got depth. And how does that, you know, because, you know, what does that look like? So a lot of experimentation. You get the uh, uh, audience to uh, sing along at, uh, yeah. uh, in this. The, uh, yeah, the mango uh, is more of a chant. It's like a party. Um, yeah, that was discovered one day in rehearsals. Uh, we were rehearsing the scene when, when Stella Luna finally gets to eat the fruit, which she's intended to eat, and she goes nuts. And Jamika Collins, who plays Stella Luna, started wiggling and dancing with the puppet, just a yummy dance. And we said, oh my gosh, we've got, okay, that's it, we're doing a number. And it evolved into this kind of Afro-pop mango chant, and we'd get the kids. And at the end of the show, they all get to stand up and do some audience participations to that tune. Which helps them to uh, uh, shake their wiggles out. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, this is a, uh, you have 180 kids from Montgomery uh, Elementary School up there now. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a big, uh, that's at least two buses full. I yeah, think. we'll get up to 300, you know, sometimes the whole school comes. Um, and it's been selling well, which is great. People, you know, it helps us continue to do our work. And again, it goes back to title recognition. I think people know the story. They love the story. Do, do the schools read it? That's another one of our criteria. Is it popular amongst the schools? Now, do you are you out there looking for the next 
title? Oh, yeah, we're always looking. We're always looking. If anybody's got any ideas, <laughs> don't hold back. <laughs> Send them to us. The the uh, you have any uh, potential? Uh, uh, none that we can really talk about because uh -huh. we're in, we're always in this sort of negotiating, like usually begging, asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking that with say like Dr. Seuss, whose birthday is coming up. Yeah, we we are doing a cat in a hat. We're remounting that. Um, is that expensive in terms of just the licensing? Um, it can be, uh, but generally because we're doing it for family audiences, it they, we get a break. Uh, it's not, and a lot of times we'll negotiate straight with the not really with the authors. That never really happens, but they can put in a good word for us, mm -hmm. which I think helps. You know, well, uh, they, we're going to do it right. Theodore Geisel can't put in a good word for you, but his estate can. His dad, yeah, his estate can. And I bet they know about you guys. Uh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah. And the version we do is actually the National Theatre of London did a version of Cat in the Hat that really kind of works for puppetry. So we, and that's the official kind of like the uh, estate approved huh. version. So, and that also was another one of these. How do you make the three D out of the two D cat? And also the cat's drawn slightly different every time. <laughs> you know, so it's like okay, how do you? Which cat is is which? Which cat? Yeah, the yeah yeah. You have to make a decision. Um, and I think we did a good job. Th this is a very unusual uh, uh, cultural resource for for Atlanta and uh, and for Georgia and and for the region. I'm sure you get people who who are visiting from elsewhere that oh, yeah. come here. Um, Especially to see the museum, we have a lot of fans coming to see the Dark Crystal and the Jim Henson collection. And the world collection, but yeah, those are major attractions. Um, people come just to the museum; they have no idea that we do shows, or they and vice versa. They come to the theater and they don't know that we have a museum. So it's out there. Uh, we just need to keep pushing it. How do you explain to to people that haven't been to Atlanta what this what this place is like? Because people think of puppet shows as being uh, very children's birthday party. Yeah. Uh, Small. That's the stigma of puppetry. Yeah, you try to explain to people puppets. All I try to say is it's pure imagination. It's like just fun. You're gonna have the best time this week. You come to our place, and we I guarantee you, you're gonna find something that's gonna knock you out. And you're gonna love it because um, it is so different. And, and we're showing the really diaspora of the of the art form. Everything from. You know, the Ramayana, the shadow puppets from Indonesia, all the way to Kermit the Frog. You know, it's everything that's in between. So it really is our mission to create inspiration, education, and community through the art of puppetry. Like everybody, and they also get a chance to make puppets. They can make their own little rod and string bat puppets and actually the other day it was all the kids who had made their puppets were all dancing to the mango song with their puppets you know they just decided they needed to dance and it was adorable and this was a family show so it was most not schools it was lots of individuals so they were uh, they, they looked around them and they all agreed let's oh yeah let's do it they just uh, spontaneously and I love that when the audience gets to react like that it's uh uh it, it definitely draws the uh, the audience in, and uh, they're they're used to the the players are used to 
uh, uh, an audience that's not silent and reverent. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, it's the wonder of theater. We always think of the the audience as the last member of the cast to show up, and they, they have a job too, and that's to listen and engage. And it always works if you give the puppets or any performer, you give them just a little bit of encouragement, and they're going to really give you a hundred and ten percent. You know, it, it's just the magic of live theater. Your input inspires the performers to even do a better, stronger make at this connection. Well, this has been a delight. I've enjoyed watching uh, Stella Luna eat her first grasshopper. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we cranked the, up the crunch. Where did you get the crunchy sound? Uh, the, the Gregory Montague, the uh, producer and sound engineer. Oh, is he back in the... No, he just found it. You know, online you have all these free samples. <laughs> but and it, we kept saying, play it louder, louder. <laughs> so it's good. And now it's just like, ooh. You get a, rea- you get a reaction <laughs> yeah, from, uh, from it, the audience. It's audible. It's just visceral. They, they crunch. <laughs> yeah. Yum. Yum. <laughs> this is great. Thank you, sir, for oh, my uh, pleasure. taking the time. Well, cool. Well, thanks for uh, for bringing us this story and uh, going out and uh, checking out the show. I'm glad to do it. So go check this out at uh, the Center for Puppetry Arts. It's on Spring Street uh, there in Midtown. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. It's called the Beer, Bourbon, and Barbecue Festival, but this 8th annual gathering at Atlantic Station on February 29th has lots more B-words on hand, too. There's bacon, biscuits, and bluegrass. You'll also find some things that don't start with B, including live music and a cornhole tournament. You'll also find a gaming area and contests on the main stage, including a Best Beer Belly Showdown. The 8th Annual Beer, Bourbon, and Barbecue Festival happens on February 29th from 2 to 6 p.m., but there's a VIP session that begins at noon. Unfortunately, the VIP option is sold out already. The general admission session costs $39, and you can get those tickets at atlanta.beerandbourbon.com. Mickey Howard never climbed to the top of the pop charts, but she was a powerful presence on the R&B charts in the 80s and 90s. Between 1986 and 1992, she scored seven top ten R&B hits, including two number ones, Ain't Nothing in the World and Ain't Nobody Like You. The Chicago-born daughter of two gospel singers has had a troubled life, documented in both an episode of the TV One docuseries Unsung and in the 2016 biopic Love Under New Management, The Mickey Howard Story. But she's persevered, still propelling each song forward with her distinctive vocal blend of jazz and gospel. Catch Mickey Howard at City Winery in Atlanta at 7 and 10 p.m. February 22nd and 7 p.m. February 23rd. Tickets are $42 to $52, and you can find those and more info at citywinery.com Atlanta. Black Citizenship in the Age of Jim Crow, a traveling exhibition created by the New York... Uh, Black Citizenship in the Age of Jet... Black Citizenship in the Age of Jim Crow, a traveling exhibition created by the New York Historical Society in collaboration with the National Museum of African American History and Culture, is on view at the Atlanta History Center through June 30th. For its Atlanta residency, the show has been enhanced with a Georgia focus. 
partnerships with the Atlanta University Center Robert W. Woodruff Library and the University of Georgia's Georgia Museum of Art help put a spotlight on local historical figures and places, including Reconstruction-era Georgia legislator Henry McNeil Turner and the Atlanta University Complex. The exhibit, which includes art, historical artifacts, photographs, and specially created media pieces, explores the African-American struggle for full citizenship and racial equality that unfolded in the 50 years after the Civil War. See Black Citizenship in the Age of Jim Crow at the Atlanta History Center through June 30th. Tickets for the History Center are $9 to $21.50 and include admission to the Margaret Mitchell House and the Cyclorama. Find out more at AtlantaHistoryCenter.com. If you've ever dreamed of watching bad movies with snarky robots, don't miss Mystery Science Theater 3000 Live, the great cheesy movie circus tour. The Peabody Award-winning TV comedy is coming to the Fox Theater with an all-new show on February 26th. It's being billed as the final tour for creator and original host Joel Hodgson, who will, of course, be joined by his movie-riffing robots, Tom Servo, Crow, and Gypsy. Mystery Science Theater 3000 Live, the great cheesy movie circus tour, happens 7.30 p.m. February 26th at the Fox Theater. Regular tickets for the show are $34 to $54, with several VIP options that range from $128.25 to $404. Get all the details at foxtheater.org. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felicien. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen. And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.